The 1980s were a transformational time for movies with plenty of lesser-known debut directors being given creative freedom to make unique and innovative projects, many of which we still consider to be all-time classics today. While some of those directors continue to excel into the 90s, others made their career-defining flicks in the 1980s. But which one deserves the title of Best Movie Director of the Decade? So I've called upon a panel of 80s film aficionados to discuss our recent March Madness bracket of 80s directors. Who won? Who should have won? And who didn't make the top 16 of the bracket? Let's find out on this special bonus episode of the 80s Flick Flashback Podcast. Hello movie viewers and movie lovers, my name is Tim Williams, the creator and host of the 80s Flick Flashback Podcast. On each episode, I'm joined by an 80s Flick-loving guest co-host to talk about one of the great and sometimes not so great movies from the 1980s. From blockbusters to cult classics to lesser-known treasures we discovered on cable TV or the now-defunct video rental stores from our childhood. No matter which 80s flick we choose for each episode, we have a lot of fun sharing first-time watch memories, discussing our favorite iconic scenes, and even learning some behind-the-scenes stories about the cast and crew along the way. If you haven't already, be sure to subscribe and follow 80s Flick Flashback on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whatever your favorite podcast platform is. And while you're there, leave us a stellar written review and a five-star rating. You can also support the show by following us on our social media pages. Just search for 80s Flick Flashback on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. And don't forget to check out our website, 80sflickflashback.com as well. If you want to take your support to the next level, you can become a financial partner for less than $10 a month. The link to financially support the podcast is located in our episode show notes. And while you're there, be sure to check out more fun facts and behind-the-scenes trivia we just weren't able to fit into today's episode. Thanks for listening. Now, on with the show. All right, well, welcome in, everybody. So glad to have you on this uh, special extra bonus episode where uh, we're wrapping up the month of March. And, uh, of course, it's March Madness. And every year, I tend to do a bracket on our social media with uh, Instagram and Facebook. And uh, this year we decided to do a bracket. Oh, I decided to do a bracket. That was not a we, it's just me. But I decided to do a bracket about the top 80s directors. After watching several uh, 80s movies, of course, uh, and doing the podcast, you, we've talked about several directors on the podcast and we've had some favorites. So I thought it'd be a fun one to uh, talk about. And so in the process of the bracket, because it's already done now, so you missed it. You missed it, but please join us on our Aim our, on you. Yeah, our Facebook group and our Instagram group so you can uh, vote on the next one. I'll, I do some others, not just in, in uh, March. I do uh, kind of pepper them in here, here and there throughout the year. Uh, but the bracket is done, but we're going to talk about some of the, uh, some of the matchups, some of the directors and whether we thought they deserved to be in uh, the ranking that they were. And the ranking actually came from ranker.com. So if you want to uh, look that up as well, that's where that's where our rankings came from. I didn't create this myself, so I was going by uh, the website. So, but uh, let me introduce the wonderful co-host I have with me. We got a plethora of quality co-hosts uh, this time. So, uh, starting to my left on my Zoom screen here, we'll start with one of the hosts of the Pop Culture Roulette podcast, 
Mr. Nicholas Pepin. How you doing, Nicholas? If you got a bracket, I got to be involved. So thank you for having me. <laughs> this is true. And if you like brackets, then you definitely want to check out Pop Culture Roulette. They have done some wonderful brackets uh, and had a lot of fun with those. Uh, and then another uh, person that's done a couple of brackets here recently, Mr. Laramie Wells from Moving Panels Podcast. What's up, Laramie? And I, I have thoughts about this one. There, <laughs> we we have some directors that I feel were were gypped. Yeah, yeah. We're gonna get in, we're gonna get into it. We're gonna get into it. And then last on the list, but certainly not least, uh, local DJ superstar, Mr. Chad <laughs> Shepard. Yeah, the only reason I qualified to do a bracket is my cousin uh, <laughs> was actually the MVP of the Final Four one year, Jeff Shepard from Kentucky, and. 94, 95. Okay. My cousin. So, and I like movies and directors. So there you go. go. All right. We're going to have some fun uh, discussing this one. So before we get into, well, let me just go down the list of the top 16 for those of you who did not see the bracket. And then we're going to talk about some of the directors that uh, I got a little, uh, I won't say hate, but I got some, some stern messages from uh, people on the, on the uh, social medias that Look, were not. I, I used as little language as possible. <laughs> you did. So. I appreciate that. I appreciate that. <laughs> we try to keep it PG 13 as much as possible, uh, much like the podcast. But there were a few people that were very unhappy about some directors that were not in the top 16. And I've done brackets with 32 before, but this year I just did 16. So uh, starting at the top, the number one seed was, of course, John Hughes, number two, Steven Spielberg, number three, Robert Zemeckis. Uh, number four, Rob Reiner. Number five, John Carpenter. Number six, John Landis. Number seven, James Cameron. Number eight, Martin Scorsese. Number nine, Richard Donner. Number 10, Harold Ramis. 11, Tim Burton. 13, Ridley Scott. 13, Oliver Stone. 14, Stanley Kubrick. 15, Ivan Reitman. And then rounding out the top 16, David Cronenberg. Of those 16, we'll kind of just kind of get this started just before we get into the, the people not included. Do you guys feel that's a good representation overall of a top 16? Now, I know we're going to have some outliers. We're like, no, they should. No. Okay. (laughs) Laramie's first to say no. No. I I mean, I, and we'll get to it here in a bit. I would say that for the most part, I mean, that that's pretty good, a pretty good list. Mm -hmm. There's a few that are on, on the lower and, and like you said, we'll get to it that I think I would have put higher personally. Right. But I mean, for me, I mean, when you think 80s, you immediately think, I mean, the guy who set the tone for the entire decade, John mm-hmm. Hughes. Mm-hmm. So they got number one right after that. It's yeah. just all. Yeah. yeah, we're going to get into that. So anyway. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I have some I'm, thoughts on number one. Yeah. But we're going we're to get into it. I'm not going to say there aren't, it's not a good list. Right. But, and, and I love Harold Ramis. Yeah. But you're talking two good movies out of the 80s. Yeah. And, yeah, and then Club Paradise. <laughs> true, true. So, wow. does so the fact that he's in the top sixteen is mm-hmm. where I, I'm like, no, there's there's so many others you could put in the top sixteen other than Harold Ramis. Yeah, and and, I, and I'll even say like number sixteen, David Cronenberg. I had to look at what movies he had actually. That was not a that was not a director's name that I was a meet like I immediately think of as a director that I'm familiar with. Oh, really? Uh, so I mean, the movies he did were good. I'm not, you know, knocking his, you know, the movies he did, there just weren't ones that 
I would necessarily remember. Okay. So let's, let's jump into, let's talk a little bit about the ones that were not included in the top 16. So, um, raise your hand. Who wants to go first? <laughs> or does it matter? I guess we'll start with, uh, Nicholas. Do you have any that you? Yeah. I mean, I, I also would have left David, uh, Cronenberg off the list, not, not right. necessarily because he's not a good director, but I just don't really associate him with the eighties. Mm-hmm. I mean, I maybe would have put in, in, I mean, she really only has one movie, but Amy Heckerling with, right. with Fast, Fast Time and Ridge, even though it was pretty, I mean, I know oh. she did a couple other ones, but I mean, she, she basically set the tone, not just for John Hughes, but the entire decade out of the gate with, with what she did in 82. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of hard. I mean, but her body of work is so lacking that. Right. Right. You know, I see, you know, uh, Wes Craven, I thought. Yes. Been, yeah. 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 Wes Craven, I would have put yes. Wes Craven in there over <laughs> a lot of. Like I don't know about Harold Ramis, but maybe over you know John Carpenter. I'm trying to see where was Amy even on the list because I'm trying. She to was down. she was further down. She was yeah. Like oh, 20, number forty five. I just got yeah. to her. so forty five. So she did Fast Times at Ridgemont High in eighty two. Johnny Dangerously in eighty four. She did European Vacation in eighty five. I didn't realize she directed European Vacation honestly, and she did yeah. Look Who's Talking in eighty nine. So I mean that's. You know, not terrible. I mean, those right. were some some decent, you know, decent movies. And but Johnny yeah. Dangerously. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just <laughs> I actually just rewatched that this past week because I had not seen it in a long time, and yeah, that one does not hold up well. Uh, it has a few funny bits, but it's it it's pretty terrible. That's, that's the one with the nuns, the nuns butt, right? Like, uh, there's a movie I think nah. with Johnny Dangerously with a nun flashes him in a car or something. No, I can't remember. I don't All I ever remember out of that movie oh, yeah. is when they peel the paint off the car during right the, while they're driving it. Yeah, yeah, during the chase. I just remember the running joke about my mother pushed put me on a thing once, once like once. Joe Piscopo's <laughs> you know running gag. Yeah. So, uh, but anyway, okay. So Amy Heckerling, okay, that was we talked about that, and then yeah, Wes Craven for sure, definitely um, Wes Craven. Since Laramie and I just, I just replayed the. uh Swamp Thing episode, so he was fresh in my mind. So Wes Craven did Deadly Blessing in 81, Swamp Thing in 82, the movie that put him on the map for sure, Nightmare on Elm Street in 84. But no, Hill- look, all, all five of the first Nightmare on Elm Street movies are from the 80s. Like one right. through five right. are but all in the 80s. But he didn't direct them all. He didn't direct them. I don't yeah. care. The fact that he, <laughs> the fact that he started, started something it. that is yes. a staple Yes. Of the 80s. Right. I mean, there are only two other Nightmare on Elm Streets, you know, of that run mm-hmm. that weren't in the 80s. The fact that he, it is his baby mm-hmm. that lasted throughout the 80s. That's that's why. Yeah. yeah but he made be- it. He was number 26. But you but with that argument, then what is it? Uh, Was it Robert S. Cunningham who did Friday the 13th? I mean, he had nine. Yeah, but that started in the 70s. So that doesn't count. No. First one was 1980. 80. Ah, mm-hmm. screw it. <laughs> 1980. And he did, he did one almost every year. Like all the sequels are almost exactly, you, know, like you can follow the years and the sequels. So, um, all right. Anybody else? I'm surprised, uh, Larry didn't bring up number 25, John McTiernan. Oh, no. He's, he's, he's on my list as well yeah. to talk about. But of course, I, I wasn't the one that brought up Wes Craven. So, right. True. I, I thought about putting that. Brian Brian De Palma up there, yeah, because he did he did a lot of really quality stuff in the eighties. But 
I, I also tried to leave it with like, do I define those movies as 80s movies? And like, they're so like timeless that you can kind of watch them. I mean, like we talked about it when we did The Untouchables that like, mm-hmm. I mean, it's clearly an 80s movie, but like, it's also set in, you know, the, you know, the 20s or 30s, whenever yeah. it was. So like, I don't know, most of his movies have more of a like time period stylized. It yeah. doesn't necessarily anchor it to the 80s. So that's yeah. where some of the lower directors of the 16, like I don't necessarily associate them with just the 80s. Like I do John Hughes or Amy Heckerling. Or, yeah. You know. So De Palma came in 17. So I would have definitely put De Palma above Cronenberg. And solely because De Palma's, I mean, he probably had the long, he had probably the biggest list. He had home movies yeah, in more. 80, Dress to Kill in 80, Blowout in 81, Scarface in 83, Body Double in 84, Wise Guys in 86, The Untouchables in 87, and Casualties of War in 89. But to your point, you're right, Nicholas. Most of his movies don't, you know, Casualties of War was Vietnam, Untouchables was Al Capone, um, Scarface was what, 70s, set in the 70s? Yeah, I 50, think. 70s, Miami. Yeah, so, so yeah, most, I mean, the, the movies of his that were, you know, he's more well known for were more period movies than 80s but you're also i think and how you're looking at the at the bracket is probably different than like i look at the bracket like right, i'm not yeah. saying which director defines quote unquote the 80s but who was the best director of that decade yeah because you've got some of these directors that their span some were their span goes before the 80s and after the 80s right um, yeah like scorsese I mean, um well that's my thing with spielberg too i yeah. think I think Spielberg made better movies in the nineties yeah. than he did. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm not saying argue. there aren't some good ones in the eighties, but I mean, I would argue overall that Spielberg is probably the best director on this list. Yes. Period. Yeah, but, right. You know, but if you're t- keeping it just to the eighties, that's mm-hmm. why I, I got that's why I keep John Hughes where I keep John Hughes. I well, and that was thinking going to uh, directors that spanned over the eighties and nineties. I mean, Joel Schumacher had a good run in the 80s. Mm-hmm, he right. then tanked it in the 90s. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. 90s were not very good for him. So, <laughs> Buddy, I mean, you, what's more 80s than Lost Boys? Right. Right. You know, the same could be said for 18 and 19 on the list, too. Ron Howard was just kind of getting his feet wet in the 80s, but he really became. Yeah, he shined in the 90s. In the 90s. And same thing yeah. with Spike Lee, who was number 19. Do the right thing is what kind of put him on the map. But most of his hits. And his more commercially or successful movies were in the nineties. Their ranking, I think, is okay. I don't, I don't think they needed to be in the top sixteen. Um, I don't know, Ron Howard. That that one's kind of pushing it for me because although he did a lot of good stuff in the nineties, when I'm I'm thinking of again going off that movies of the eighties that you remember. I mean, mm-hmm. Splash, Cocoon, Willow, Parenthood. I mean, those are movies that yeah. are known yeah yeah and and yeah. as much as i love john mctiernan movies we're mm-hmm. talking two predator yeah. and die hard that was it uh, it's really yeah. it yeah yeah so but west craven <laughs> back here we go back to west craven go ahead come on nightmare on elm street swamp thing i mean uh shocker which is i mm-hmm. am a yeah i mean it might not be a great hit hit but i was a big fan of it uh, the serpent and the rainbow. I mean, the mm-hmm. man in the man pretty much invented what would be the modern day horror movie. 
Yeah. Which is why when we then get into the 90s, they then honored that with the Scream movies. (laughs) Yep. Well, you know. He kind of honored his own self. Well, he honored himself. (laughs) Yes, but... He kind of reset horror movies at that point because it had become, they had become laughable. Yeah. He kind of, he kind of turned it on itself and made it fun again. So, yeah, I mean, he, he reset him, he reset it in the eighties with Nightmare on Elm Street because mm-hmm. John Carpenter and Sean S. Cunningham had done what they did. Right. And then right. when come 96, he kind of reset it again yep. with Scream. Mm-hmm. Made it Just, meta. Yeah. Yeah. All right, Chad. You've been kind of quiet. You got any yeah. list that you wanted to, you wanted to throw out there? I just uh, it's funny. I just went to a play today, and it reminded me. I, I'm doing a lot. I forgot this number fifty eight, Mister Frank Oz. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Directing The Dark Crystal with Jim Henson. Of course, mm-hmm. he did the Muppets Take Manhattan, Little Shop Little of Shop Horror. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's, that's what I saw today. And Dirty Rotten Scandals. Of course, my my father in law quotes Dirty Rotten Scandals like <laughs> almost daily. Yeah, yeah. So, him or Jim? I mean, Jim didn't do as much as Frank did, but I definitely would put Frank up there for '80s movies. Yeah, you kind of forget he was a director. Um, mm-hmm. but yeah, yeah, I, yeah. yeah that's I, good I as well uh, quote "Dirty Rotten Scoundrels" more often than I ought to, and very <laughs> rare, very rarely does anyone ever actually understand what I'm quoting. So, right, right. <laughs> Carl Reiner, number thirty-nine. Yeah, that's the one I was about to bring up. I know we've talked about him for summer rental because uh, I'm a I'm school. a huge fan of the I mean Dead Men Don't Wear Plaid isn't great but mm-hmm. his other stuff with Steve Martin mm-hmm. I know the jerk was seventies right 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 yep. yeah but the man with two brains and all all, all of, me. of me is one of oh, my yeah. favorite movies. I know I know that's a big one for you same here yeah I mean that was I mean that is just physical comedy at mm-hmm. its height um. <laughs> What when a guru plus the toilet all the time. Oh, yeah. sorry. So, <laughs> but yeah, then summer rental and summer school. Uh, mm. his, yeah. 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 Car- Carl Reiner's up there uh, for me. I mean, the, another one, Mel Brooks. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he, yeah. he only had history of the world in, in space balls in the eighties, but they're but, huge. Yeah. They're, those are, I mean, they just remade, they finally made part two of History of the World. And I mean, Spongebob, I mean, Spongebob, Spongebob, I just saw, I just saw a play as well. Um, Spaceballs is probably like his, one of his top, Mm -hmm. Uh, that Blazing Saddles. I mean, but again, I think maybe he's more, he would be higher ranked in a 70s. Yeah. Director. Yeah. Yeah. He had the producers. He had, uh, Young Frankenstein, he yeah. had to be or not to be. Yeah, seventies was really more his yeah. his yeah. his prime. Yeah, yeah, well, silent was, movie, right? I was looking back over the list and and Joe Dante at twenty eight. Yeah, I was gonna bring him up too. I was mm. like, you got Gremlins, you got um, Inner Space, The Burbs, Explorers. I mean, those are four really strong eighties movies for sure. That was gonna be my next suggestion. Okay, all right. He beat me through it. Yeah. And now, these messages. Comic books have been around for almost a century, 
and in the last two decades, we've finally gotten to see many of these characters brought to life in movies and on TV. On the Moving Panels podcast, we discuss movies and TV shows based on, inspired by, and adapted from the world of comic books. Join me and my guests as we discuss both the good and the bad from Marvel, DC, and even some of the lesser-known comic book companies. Learn what is and isn't from the comics, as well as our nerdy review of the movie or show. New episodes drop every Monday, and you can find us wherever you listen to podcasts. So join us for Moving Panels, and I'll see you on the other side of the page. <sighs> what seems to be the problem, pal? There's just so much pain in the world, so many issues. I don't think I can bear it. Well, friendo, it sounds like you could use a dose of pop culture roulette. Pop culture roulette? What's that? Some sort of pop culture themed podcast or something? That's right, sonny boy. When hope seems far, dive into some PCR! But I already get my entertainment news from Variety. Huh, that's pretty good. If you're a chucklehead, PCR gives you news you need, condensed, unfiltered, and raw, from three nerds who know a little something about something. Wow, okay, sign me up. That's the spirit. Pop Culture Roulette. New episodes every Monday, available on all major podcast directories. Hey everybody, do you ever just sit around with your friends and reminisce about days and how things used to be when you were a kid or a teenager or maybe even a young adult? The TV shows and the movies that you watched at the time and how things just aren't quite the same today? Well, let me tell you, I've got the place for you. My name is Chris Adams, and I'm the host of the podcast Retro Life For You. And here at Retro Life For You, we talk about and discuss movies and TV that is retro. And we are going back from the 80s and the 90s and into the 2000s. Hey, sometimes we might even touch back to the 70s if we're feeling good. If this is for you, make sure you look for us on everywhere that you can find your podcast at. Spotify, iTunes, Amazon, Google, Stitcher or hosted on Anchor FM. And make sure you follow us on all the major networks and leave us a rating and a review. It really does help. Look forward to hearing from you. Hello, 80s Flick lovers. I just want to take a minute and say thanks again for listening to the 80s Flick Flashback Podcast. I hope you're enjoying this episode so far. Sadly, we don't have any shout-outs to new buymeacoffee.com members this week, but I want to encourage you, if you haven't already, to support the podcast on a monthly basis through buymeacoffee.com. We have three tiers of support to choose from. You can be a Cult Classic member, which is only $5 a month, a Be Kind Please Rewind member, which is $10 a month, or you can go big by choosing to be a box office blockbuster member for $15 a month and receive an official 80s flick flashback t-shirt. All members on any tier will receive a free logo sticker, so don't miss out. You can also leave a one-time donation for $5 or more if you choose. Just go to our website, 80sflickflashback.com, or the link in the show notes for more details and to start your subscription membership today. We will always offer free episodes and we will never put any of our past seasons or episodes behind the paywall. But it does cost money to keep the podcast running. Since the creation of the podcast, I've personally paid monthly for the website, the Zoom account, various movie rentals and streaming subscriptions, marketing tools, and other miscellaneous expenses that pop up from time to time. If you love the show, then please consider being one of our subscription members through Buy Me A Coffee. Every little bit helps and will be greatly appreciated. 
You can also support the show by buying an official logo t-shirt, sweatshirt, or sticker from our online store. There are multiple styles and colors to choose from, so go check out the selection on our website as well as the link in the show notes. If you've been listening for a while, you know I've been moving away from buying digital movies and going back to buying Blu-rays and DVDs of my favorite movies. If you'd like to help, you can find my Amazon wish list at the link in our show notes. There are movies there priced from $5 to $40, so feel free to purchase one or more. (laughs) I'll even give you a special thank you on TikTok and Instagram when the movies arrive. Hey, if you love 80s pop music and movie soundtracks as much as I do, you can also find the 80s flick flashback movie songs mix playlist on Apple Music. It's full of hit songs like Eye of the Tiger, Flashdance, What a Feeling, and Danger Zone, as well as deeper cuts from the 80s flicks like Lost in the Shadows from The Lost Boys, Only the Young from Vision Quest, and Cool Rider from Grease 2. This would have been my ultimate movie soundtrack mixtape growing up if I could have found a cassette to hold eight hours worth of songs. So it's perfect for listening to on a fun road trip or if you're just stuck in a cubicle at work. Thanks again for listening. I really do appreciate every one of you and I'm amazed each week to watch the number of new listeners grow. It's because of you and your support that the 80s Flick Flashback Podcast is still going strong. Let's keep the fun going. Now, let's get back to today's show. All right, well, let's let's hit like maybe one or two more, and then we're going to jump back into the actual bracket. So anybody else you want to, you know, Clint Eastwood, I was surprised, wasn't higher on the list. I mean, he had, I mean, you know, um, maybe because, well, yeah. once again, that, that's somebody with a longer career, but 80s maybe weren't the best year for him. We're looking at the list. I mean, Heartbreak well, Ridge was pretty good. Bird, I think, was okay. But I don't think of him when I think of 80s. I'm kind of leaning no. more towards Nicholas now. To um, be I also had, honest, I, I don't think of him when I think of directors. Yeah. I'm just going to be honest. Yeah. That. Yeah. He's yeah. more of an actor. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I had also written down uh, Barry Levinson. Yes. Oh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's all the ones I wrote down. I mean, there's a lot more. I just, I had to stop writing because then <laughs> I was just making a giant list. But yeah. So my only other one is Don Bluth. And, yeah. Oh. Yeah. Bluth, I mean, yeah. there's, there's not a, I mean, there the four the four on the list, you know, Secret of Nim, mm-hmm. uh, An American Tale, Land Before Time, All do- Dogs Go to Heaven. I mean, those are staples in any yeah you know ki- kid growing up in the eighties. I was traumatized <laughs> by all four of those movies. <laughs> so you don't think of of uh, animated directors. True, so I think that's True. why he kind of gets held out. But mm-hmm. man, it, I mean, is there a bad one in that four? No, there's no. not. 1990, uh, Rockadoodle. Uh, Rockadoodle. <laughs> yeah, I saw that in the theater. I'm happy about it. I do think it's interesting, uh, Laramie, that uh, Sam Raimi is number 66 on the list. Yeah, but I mean, he only had really Evil Dead and Evil Dead 2. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the other stuff he directed are forgettable. Yeah. yeah he came back. He came back a little bit in the 90s. With the the mm-hmm. Dark Man movies. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Nineties was more his. He got into more of his groove in the nineties. Yeah, sure. Quick and the Dead. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then of course he finally he got Spider Man right as the two thousand started. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I love Sam Raimi. I've got nothing against <laughs> Sam Raimi, but as a best eighties director, right? Eh. Well, there's definitely some that, that didn't make the top. Wouldn't have even made the top thirty two if you had gone that far. That I, I'm just like I've never even heard of this guy. Yeah, or you know. 
Yeah, there's a few on the list that I don't really know and don't know really much of their many of their movies either. So surprising. But, you know, it's a list of people that vote. I mean, this it, this this is what they were ranked at the time. Like you can actually go on and vote if yeah. you like like some there's only like seven or eight votes for in the 30s. So, um well, given how many of his movies you've done, I'm surprised Michael Ritchie isn't higher on your list. <laughs> yeah. He had a he had a, a string of movies as well. I'm, I was just looking. Hold on, get back to him. Yeah, uh, I've never yeah. heard of his. Never heard of his name, but I like. Saw, oh yeah, I know, like know all his movies, and I'm like, oh. Oh yeah, Fletch, Wildcats, The Golden yeah. Child, The Couch Trip, uh, even Survivors, Walter Matthau, and Robin Williams. It wasn't a huge hit, but I remember watching that one on TV. So, all right, well, let's jump back into the actual bracket and talk about uh, some of the matchups. So I'll go through the first round, and if there's any any matchups you guys want to talk about, we don't. We're not going to talk about all of them because we're not redoing the bracket, but. Any that you thought would have been uh, closer or because most of these were landslides, as I mentioned before. So uh, so in the first round, we had a uh, number one against number 16, John Hughes versus Cronenberg. Of course, Hughes won that one hands down. Uh, then we had number nine, Richard Donner against number eight, Martin Scorsese. Richard Donner won that one uh, as he should, as he should. Uh, number then ne- number six. Let the let the guy who directed a comic book movie beat the guy that hates comic book movies. <laughs> let it be said, Scorsese is yes. the most overrated director of all time. I Ooh. I will not I will not disagree with that statement. I've, I've, only, I've only liked liked a few of his movies. I'm not a big fan of his overall. All right, so number six versus number twelve, John Carpenter versus Ridley Scott, which I thought would have been a little bit closer, but. Uh, John Carpenter won that one. Uh, Big Trouble in Little China. He's got They Live. Then number 13 and number four, Oliver Stone versus Rob Reiner. No surprise, Rob Reiner won that one. Uh, Number three versus number 14, Robert Zemeckis versus Stanley Kubrick. Zemeckis won that one. Uh, Once again, I I, I didn't think Kubrick needed to be on the list at all uh, in the top 16. Uh, then number six, John Landis versus John, I'm uh, sorry, John Landis versus Tim Burton. John Landis, uh, won that one. Uh, number see, seven. See, versus, now that was that one close. Uh, it was, it wasn't super close, but it was closer than some of the others. Cause, you know, you've got some, you know, Beetlejuice and Batman, Batman. fans. Uh, you know, hey, but, I'm a Pee Wee fan too. So. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, I, again, though, with, with Burton, I, I would have, I wouldn't have voted for Burton when I did because I don't necessarily think 80s when I... I mean, those movies are great. Don't get yeah. me wrong. Batman... I mean, we talked about Batman. <laughs> I know you guys did the bracket, that one, without me, but I know I've talked about Batman in the past. But I I, I tend to associate Burton more with the 90s than I do... Yeah. What did you say? Landis? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that that was why. That's how I voted. I, no, I, no, yeah, yeah. No, I'm, I see that. Yeah, I'm not yeah. going to disagree with the win. I was just curious mm-hmm. as to how close it was. Yeah, yeah. So then we've got uh, James Cameron, number seven versus number ten, Harold Ramis, and Cameron won that one, which I I was a little surprised by that one. But you've got some strong Terminator fans over. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Harold Ramis. I mean, Terminator and Aliens. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Tough I, to beat. Yeah, that one. I mean, that as one good was... as Caddyshack and Vacation are, like I said. Yeah, it's... but you—that's two totally different type of directors too. I mean, comedies yeah. versus action thriller. You're, you're, you're you know, tough, tough matchup. And then but, number. James, Go ahead. But wasn't James James Cameron as good as those movies are? 
his big one, of course, was T2. Which in came the in the 90s, right. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, his he really came into his own in the 90s. I mean, he was, once again, he was still learning in the 80s. Aliens and Terminator, I mean, we've talked about. I mean, those are great, great yeah, films. We, we talked, to, yeah, we talked about aliens and how he was preparing for, um, or I can't remember which one came out first, Terminator or Aliens. Terminator was first, right? Yeah. Terminator 84. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So he was, he was kind of working on both those movies at the same time, using a lot of the same, same things. So I think what hurt Ramis was just not, not necessarily that his body of work isn't so 80s. It's just there's so little of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. He was also more of the writer and performer. Yeah, you know. Yeah, you, I mean, yeah. you think you think you think Ghostbusters, right? You yeah, think Raymond too. Yeah, exactly. I mean, another time, Ramen, but yeah, um, yeah. But I mean, Ramus. I mean, Ramus would still have a few good ones in him. I mean, he did Groundhog Day. He did true. Analyze this and analyze that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, I and look, I'm a fan of Bedazzled. I don't care. Yes, I am. We yeah. are fans of Bedazzled as well. I am Oscar well. winner Brendan Fraser. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> not not for Bedazzle. But... No, not at all. No, no. Not at all. <laughs> oh my goodness! I want to watch that movie again now. It's so fun. That's one of my. Um, that's one of me and my wife's like guilty pleasures. Like we we've watched that movie so many times. We love it. Yeah. When when I did my episode on the Devil back in October, mm-hmm. because Bedazzled kept coming up, right. I rewatched it and I was like, it's as it's better than i remember but also worse than i remember somehow <laughs> operated in both both yeah. categories it's great and terrible all at the same time it's one of those movies well, well guys you just got to give 110 <laughs> <Yeah>. percent. <laughs> mayo mayo mayonnaise sorry i use that as a warm-up for a long time uh number fi- like last matchup for round one number 15 ivan reitman of course the director of ghostbusters could not beat number two, Steven Spielberg. So, um, so that we've kind of, we've hit the ones we want to talk about in that round. Correct. Yeah. All right. So for round two, then we had John Hughes up, up against Richard Donner. Um, I thought this one would have been closer, but John Hughes pretty much swept just about all of his, um, which I mean, come on, let's talk about Richard Donner. We talk about Goonies. You talk about lethal weapon. I mean, those are some, those are some heavy hitters. I know it's seventies, but we're talking Superman too. Let's I, I knew, yeah, of course. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and hey, we can only vote one time. <laughs> yeah, and, and and look, I mean, even though he wasn't officially the director, Superman two is his movie. Yeah, yeah. So, true. I, I mean, true. it was a lot harder vote than I thought it would be because when I actually looked at Richard Donner's eighties, mm-hmm. you know, the, the Toy no. Goonies, Lady Hawk, Lethal Weapon, Scrooge, and yeah. Lethal Weapon oh, two, Scrooge, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. you know. Two of those movies I've done with you, and a third one we're going to be doing here pretty soon. So <laughs> right. clearly, you know, and I know, I know you and T- Laramie have done a couple of Richard Donner movies. So, mm-hmm. you know, uh, you know, you, it really couldn't have gone wrong either way, quite honestly. But right, mm-hmm. right. All right. So then our second matchup for round two was John Carpenter versus Rob Reiner, and Rob Reiner won that round. Uh, I think that one was probably the closest. Um, of the matchups, and I think Rob Reiner's strong is Princess Bride and Stand by Me, which are two movies that are kind of tough to beat. Um, I, this, some some people Indio, are big on this. I mean, yeah, yeah. The, hey, when, I mean, this is Spinal Tap, The Sure Thing, which I rewatched uh, last week as well, which is really really good. And When Harry Met Sally, which is yeah. one of my favorite yeah. romantic comedies. So, I mean, he's number four for a reason. For sure, I think 
I think Spinal Tap. I mean, I know a lot of people love it, but I think it's such an underrated, just comedic genius. Oh yeah. I mean, granted, a lot of that's also with Christopher Guest. But, yeah, I was about yeah. to say that that initially spawned that the Christopher Guest run in the nineties yeah. yeah. of the mockumentaries. Mockumentaries. Yep. Don't don't kick me off my own podcast, but I've never seen this as Spinal Tap. I've only seen bits and pieces. Okay, of it, well, so. at some point you're gonna have to do Spinal Tap as <laughs> yeah. an episode, and let at least me go on there with you. I mean, we right. might have to bring us all back, but yeah, yeah. let's do that. Uh. But you know, but, so uh, so yeah. yeah. But John Carpenter, of course, we didn't talk about. It. He did The Fog, oh, yeah. Escape from New York, The Thing, The Thing, The Starman, <laughs> Big Trouble in Little China, Prince of Darkness, and of course, Larry's favorite, They Live. In yeah, the Thing and They Live, two yeah. of my favorite movies. Well, I love Big Trouble in Little China as well. So but, yeah, but The Thing yeah. is fantastic. Uh, <sighs> they Live is great. The Fog. Still have you, to watch. Don't kick me off this recording, but I still haven't watched the thing yet. I bought it, mm, man, but I, I haven't watched it yet. I haven't seen all of it in, in its entirety either. Oh, it's fantastic. Sadly. Fantastic. Know. That hurts me. <laughs> it hurts me. All right, everybody. Soul. Everybody's got homework before our next episode. Okay. Well, I was gonna. I started watching it after you guys talked about it. Yeah. Wait, what's my homework? What have I not seen? I'm confused. <laughs> Just watch them again. Okay. <laughs> I, say, I, I own most of these movies. Right, so. right. Right. All right. So Rob Ryder won that one. So next one on the next matchup was Robert Zemeckis and John Landis, which Zemeckis won, of course, Back to the Future. Um and Who Framed Roger Rabbit, Romancing the Stone. Um that's why he's number three. Yeah. See, that um, one was a tough one for me. Yeah. And then uh, Landis had the Blues Brothers, American Werewolf in London, Trading Places, Spies Like Us which is underrated gem three amigos. One of my favorites coming to America. One of my favorites and into the night. So I may have yeah. actually voted for Landis on that one. I can't remember. I think I, I might have. I think yeah. I voted Zemeckis because back to the future is one of my all time yeah. favorite movies, yeah. but Same. you cannot go wrong with any. <laughs> well, other than into the night, which I don't know. Yeah. Every other John Landis movie on that list. Like I watched American Werewolf in London because of eighties flick flashbacks, mm-hmm. and I was I kicked mm-hmm. myself for having never waited watched so it long. Yeah, for yeah. having Damn. waited so long. Yep. And once again, that's and it, that's that's a director talking about range for everything from Blues Brothers, yeah. a musical, yeah. Werewolf in London, which was horror, Trading Places. He kind of went more in the comedy, you know, vein after that, but. Um, well, and I mean, it's it's not on the list, but Twilight Zone. Murder. Yeah, Twilight Zone, the movie, yeah. And then, but the last... again, I go, I go with the fact that Landis to me is more eighties. I mean, I, I know Zemeckis has mm-hmm. Back to the Future, yeah. yeah. But when I think Zemeckis, I mean, I'm more honestly, I to think the 90s? honestly, yeah, I think Forrest Gump comes to mind. Yeah. Back to the Future, yeah. yeah, yeah. And, it, and it then really, from, from teaching me. film class, Polar <laughs> uh, <laughs> Express kind of pops into my head too. Oh yeah. Not one of my much favorites. as this hurts me, I really agree with you guys. Like, I love Robert Zemeckis to pieces, but yeah, John Landis, he had, it, yeah, I, I, I didn't vote for him, <laughs> Zemeckis, but I should have, I guess. Yeah, because I mean, yeah, I just think if you're going for 80s, I think Landis is more of an 80s director, mm-hmm. whereas Zemeckis, I, he just, there's so many other movies that he did past the eighties. And, you know, I, I mentioned Forrest Gump and you got uh, the contact, which I think some people forget 
Yeah. Uh, he, he didn't direct it, though, did he? Did he? Uh, yes. He directed, he directed Contact? Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. And, it, you know, I, I just think there was... He did Death there, Becomes Her in the 90s, which was yes. a fun one. <laughs> Another one of my favorites. Yeah. Um. Yeah, so I just think... And, of course, he did those creepy uh, <laughs> CGI movies with Polar Express and Jim Carrey's Christmas Carol mm-hmm. and Beowulf. Beowulf. Uh, oh, yeah, Beowulf, yeah. Yeah, but, I mean, he did Castaway. Mm-hmm. There's just... I, I think he I think he has Back to the Future in the eighties, but then he's more which again I made the same argument with Spielberg. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he spans a little bit further. Yeah. So he yeah. might be a better director, mm-hmm. but Landis is more eighties. Cap encapsulates the eighties, yeah. yeah. I think yeah. Zemeckis Back to the Future is what's keep is what has Zemeckis there. And who frame Rod, Roger Rabbit, you've got two groundbreaking yeah. movies. That he had you, in the same uh, decade. So you've used my own argument against me. I have now changed my vote. <laughs> <laughs> Let me go back to our Facebook page and revote. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's too late. Uh, so the last matchup of this round: James Cameron, Steven Spielberg. I'm going to put Spielberg above Cameron every time. Yep. I don't think anybody else it, would argue with me on that one. To me, that's a uh, it's my argument, but just on both sides. <laughs> right. All right, and then the uh, final four round, which was the four, you know, the top four seeds, Hughes versus Reiner, um, which I, I'm not mad about Hughes beating Reiner. I, once again, I think Reiner's got a good run, but it's tough to beat Hughes. Uh, look, we didn't talk about his filmography in the 80s. 16 Candles, The Breakfast Club, Weird Science, Ferris Wheeler's Day Off, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, She's Having a Baby, and, of course, Uncle Buck. So, yeah. That's a, that's a strong that's a strong run right there. Technically, all his direct directing movies were in the eighties. Uh, yes, like one. I like think the last one was Curly Sue. That was like ninety. Yeah, and then then nothing. Like he was just right. writer producer after that. Mm-hmm. So he is he is the eighties director. And then uh, the second uh, matchup: Zemeckis versus Spielberg, which I think was kind of a tough choice. Um, and we'll talk about Spielberg. We didn't we didn't mention his filmography. So he had E.T. in 82, Twilight Zone the movie in 83, even though that was a bunch of directors in that one. Indiana Jones and Temple of Doom in 84, Color Purple in 85, Empire of the Sun in 87, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, and Always in 89. If we got Raiders of the Lost Ark. Uh that, yeah, that's not all listed on there. That was 81, correct. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know why they I don't know why they didn't put that one on the list. So. Yeah, why wouldn't they put the best? Oh, well, I don't know. But, uh, <laughs> save it. Save it. Yeah, save but it. <laughs> yeah, but but then you know you go through that list, but then I just want to keep going. You know, Hook, <laughs> Jurassic Park, Schindler's right. List, yeah, Amistad, yeah. Saving right. Private Ryan, yeah. Uh, yeah, Catch Me If You Can, yeah. Is he an but, '80s director? That's but but you got to go back to the '70s. He had Jaws, so he yeah also, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so again, um, yeah. is he an eighties director? Mm-hmm. Close I mean, encounter. Yeah. Putting yeah. just the, the two of those together though, like that that's the argument that you're having here. Zemeckis mm-hmm. versus yeah. Spielberg. Yeah. I think I'm going for eighties, the body of work for Spielberg is better than the body of work for, for Zemeckis. Zemeckis. Yeah. I agree with you. Yeah. And so but I again, I, I would have taken Landis over Zemeckis anyway. So mm-hmm. yeah. So, th- so there's my question. Would you still pick Spielberg over Landis? Uh, just looking man. at his 80s movies. 
Sure. I it would be a it it'd be uh, a much, much tougher vote than Spielberg over I gotta go back to Landis here. Oh man. I mm, it's really hard for me to legitimately say I would choose John Landis as a director over Steven Spielberg a director, even but only in the eighties. We're all even <laughs> yeah. though we're keeping it to just the eighties. Only in the eighties. Oh man. Um I wish you guys could see their faces right now. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I all right. I guess I would have to give it to John Landis, given how many times <laughs> I have watched Three Amigos. Yes, right. yeah. coming to Blues, America, Blues Brothers. Blues yes, Brothers, yeah. spies like I mean, us. I've, I've seen all of those a number of times, but I don't think you guys know how many times I've watched Three Amigos. Mm-hmm. Tim, do you remember when we had that drama thing in college and we did the Three Amigos song on stage? I don't, and I wish I did. <laughs> I I want to say you were part of it, but I know I know I was. I know it was, I think it was me and Robbie. I thought it was, you were there, but we did I might the, have been. The, I don't remember. We did the sweet little Buttercup song. It's the, probably the only time oh. that I've ever sung in public, and I <laughs> thank God I'm pretty sure there's. I think uh, I, I think I vaguely remember that now because I remember. I think I remember doing it. I mean, uh, it might have been me. Yeah. Please um, please tell me there's a video of that. I wish. I, no, that, I was really the 80s. Hoped, I, that was the 90s. <laughs> Come on, we're not that old. Come that on was, now, Larry. That was late 90s. Giant camcorder. Yeah, just on the shoulder. <laughs> With a VHS tape inside. Yeah. 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 I if there is a tape, I have it, or my dad has it, and I'm hoping that it's long since buried and <laughs> and we'll never see the light of day. But 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 let's let's be honest. Whose eighties movies? Eighties movies. Are you rewatching Landis or Spielberg? All right. I, because, I don't know. That I mean, that's still tough I, because it's, it's how many times are you going to sit and watch The Color Purple? Well, not um, that one, but all three. How many Indiana times Jones are you going to sit and watch? No, not all. Look, you're not watching Temple of Doom more than you're watching <laughs> the other two. I'm not, but I am but, watching yeah. Last Crusade uh, and E.T. Oh, and E.T. La- yeah. Crusade. Yeah. Okay, so so three. But, but 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 I'm 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 jesting with you, but you have a point because I will watch Three yes. Amigos before I'll watch Spies Like Us. Yep. I'll watch um, Trading Places, Coming to America, Trading, Trading Places. Places, Blues Brothers. Yep, American okay, Wolf in London. You you have you have a legitimate argument there. <laughs> Landis <laughs> should have won. Landis should have won. Yeah. Okay. All right. Hold that thought, because let's go back to uh, right, so how it how it how it played out. But wasn't it? I thought it was interesting, and I didn't couldn't talk about this because it was social media. But Zemeckis versus Spielberg, when they worked together, like Spielberg produced, yeah, yeah. most of Spielberg, most I mean most of Zemeckis's movies. So I thought that yeah. was an interesting matchup of them going head to head. When can you That's really it. separate? Can you do you that think Zemeckis it. would be Zemeckis without Spielberg? No. So then I agree Spielberg would have to win because there is no Zemeckis without Spielberg. Okay. Well, I don't care. John Landis. <laughs> I know that. I was trying to go back. I was trying to go back. All right. Who's, so, whose name is on top of the poster of Back to the Future? Steven Spielberg. Steven Spielberg presents. Yep. Yeah. All right. So how it ended was our, the final was John Hughes versus Steven Spielberg. And though I think we've all argued enough and, and come to the conclusion that John Landis would have beat now, Steven Spielberg. Right. Right. Now I, I, mean, now I will, my argument. 
I will have I will have to fight you on John Land. John Land. I will watch John Landis movies except for Ferris Bueller way more than I will. You mean watch John Hughes? John Hughes. Yeah. Well, I was saying other for John Hughes movies. Oh, okay. Um, Ferris Bueller is like number two or three on my all-time favorite movie list. Mm-hmm. Like, I will watch that movie multiple times a year. Right. Um, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. I watch at least once a year. I love right. Weird Science. Um, yep. I don't hate Breakfast Club. I know a lot of people have kind of turned <laughs> against it in today's modern time. Uh, 16, <laughs> 16 Candles I have... Mixed um, feelings about? Yeah, I, and I've never seen She's Having a Baby, and I do enjoy Uncle Buck. But I will say that as the tone setter of, of the 80s, starting with 16 Candles, kind of bringing the Brat Pack, who... And, and a lot of people bit off of John Hughes' style so much that it kind of... He kind of defined the entire decade. The way we talk, the way we dress, the TV, every, everything kind music. of bit. Music really bit off of his style. So as much as John Landis probably has a better, is a better director and his better movies or Spielberg is definitely a better director. Mm-hmm. I don't think they defined the decade the way John Hughes defined the eighties. Anybody want to refute that? I, you know, I, no, I won't disagree with that. <laughs> yeah. It's hard, um, to, it's hard to beat I don't that like, argument. I'll be honest, honest. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of people that give him the Brat Pack, uh, but that's Schumacher. Cause that was St. Elmo's fire. That wasn't, that is true. That wasn't these. San Juan's fire was the Brat Pack, right? Now uh, some of them I mean, were. They were some of them were together. Yeah, already. Yeah, but, which, but even you can even go back to they, a lot of uh, some of them were together with the Outsiders, so they were already friends hmm. before that. Because you had uh, Emilio Estevez, Rob he was the only one. Rob Lowe. Rob Lowe. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, yeah. But it was San Juan's uh, fire that Tom Cruise created. Yeah. The Brat Pack. Yeah, you're yeah. right. Yeah, um, Saint Elmo's Fire was the one that coined the, coined the phrase. Yeah, the Brat Pack at that point. We've already, yeah, we've already, you know, we've already made the argument. Going back to the original, Steven Spielberg and John Hughes. If you're defining the '80s, yes, John Hughes Hughes, Hughes yes. De- de- deserved it. Better director, I would put Steven Spielberg, even just using his '80s, because you look at John Hughes, you know what type of movie you're going to see with John. You're not saying that same thing with Steven Spielberg, but Spielberg did. E.T., Twilight Zone, Indiana Jones, Color Purple. He did a, he did a, he did not stick with just one genre. Whereas John Hughes is, it's teens, even though he went, as he got, you know, plane trains on all bills and she's having a baby was more adult. Um, the bulk of what he did was teens and where Spielberg was a little bit more broad with or colored a little more outside the lines with the projects that he chose to do. We say the bulk of what he did was teens. The bulk of what he did was twenty and thirty year olds playing, playing teens. teenagers. <laughs> this is true. Uh, yeah. This is true. Because uh, I was about to say middle aged people. Yeah, yeah. Because what? Because what, uh, what? Anthony Michael Hall was actually the only actual teenager. Teenager. Yeah. Most of the yeah. Movies. Him and him and Molly Ringwald in uh, Breakfast Club were the only two teenagers. And uh, oh gosh, can't, uh, uh, Judd um, Nelson. Nelson. Judd Nelson was like almost thirty. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. He just got out of detention, I think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's what they said. No, I I won't argue yeah. that Landis is going to be my go to more so. But yes, if you were talking about a director whose movies defined a decade, yes, mm-hmm. it, it was John Hughes. Okay. And the fact that John Hughes, you know, I, I, I mentioned this before, being the creator, the writer, 
He mm-hmm. wrote all. He wrote all the movies he directed. Right, and he and he wrote right. some other movies that he didn't direct that still were part of that. You yeah. know, some kind of wonderful, pretty in pink. Mm-hmm. Um, so vacation. Yeah, he wrote vacation. vacation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, I mean, John Landis did pretty much did that too. And mm-hmm. I know, I know, Home yeah. Alone was technically what ninety. Mm-hmm. But yeah. I mean, you know, he he wrote or had something to do with the writing of Home Alone. And, yeah. I mean, so, I mean, if it came out in 90, they were filming it in 89. So, mm-hmm. so I mean, if we want to get technical. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, overall, I, I think we're kind of bringing this to a close. I mean, I, I, I think John Hughes was the was the right winner for the bracket. Personally, I voted for Steven Spielberg over John Hughes in the final but that was because I was thinking of as a director. As a director. Spielberg yeah. is a better director. But but going to your point, Nicholas, if you're going to define the 80s, John Hughes is the director that defined the 80s. Yeah. Oh, and like, Ramos I, is a close second. Yeah. I'm well, because I'm I'm trying to think of like if we did like a nineties. Did you just say Harold Ramos was a close I mean, I'm second? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I meant to say <laughs> Landis. Because yeah. I'm I'm trying to think like, is there a singular director of the nineties that you know, we could say define the nineties if we were to do this with the nineties. And I don't know, like if, if you have a director of the nineties or the two thousands that like has put their stamp on a decade, the way John Hughes did I've, with the eighties. Yeah. It would almost be Spielberg again, Spielberg or Zemeckis. When you I think mean, they about their def- body of work in the nineties. Yeah. But I think what, what, uh, Nicholas is saying like their movies actually defined right. the 80s. Yeah. Uh, or the, ni- 90s, you know, the yeah. 90s in this case. And ugh, I mean the even 90s though, was a different decade. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I mean it was I, just it's, it, was. yeah it didn't have the same cultural I mean, I mean Amy Heckerling? Maybe, maybe. I, mean, I was thinking maybe Kevin yeah. Smith but I think Kevin Smith has such a a niche following that I don't yeah. necessarily know if if what he was doing in the nineties really No because I think he was more taking nineties culture and throwing it back, not necessarily defining, defining it. it. Right. Yeah. But Am- but Amy Heckerling did with Clueless. I'm yeah. say Clueless. Yeah. But what else did she do? Yeah, that that's the other mm. that's the only downside like, with Yeah, it's like who had well, that, the That's why who, she doesn't make the top sixteen in the eighties because she has such a small I mean I looked at I was I was doing some research on Amy Heckerling for something else today anyway. Um, and I was like, man, she really knocked it out of the park with that thing in 82, but then didn't do really much of anything again until <clears throat> Clueless. Like. Until Clueless, yeah. But that is a movie that defines the 90s. The the 90s, you got Quentin Tarantino making his rise, but that's same, the, almost the same argument you made with uh, Kevin Smith. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, you got, I'm, I'm looking at Ranker's list, so Tarantino was number one. Spielberg is number two. Scorsese is number three. The Coens was number four. Oh, oh the Coen brothers, yeah. James Cameron is number five, but he's only got three on the list. T2, True Lies, and Titanic. But, you know, he, he didn't have a, he had three blockbusters. So what are you going to, what are you going to say? Uh, Chris Columbus was number six. Uh, Frank Darabont was number seven. Shawshank Redemption and the Green Mile. Yes. Uh, Zemeckis is number eight. Clint Eastwood was number nine. Uh, Tim Burton is number 10. Ridley Scott was 11. Jonathan Demme was 12. Silence of the Lambs, Philadelphia. Gus Van Sant was 13. 
which once again, those are more indie. I think the nineties was the decade of the indie filmmakers. So I think that's why you can't really define. I would say you would define the nineties by that, the collection of indie, sorry, indie filmmakers like Tarantino and Gus Van Sant and And the the Coens, Kevin Smith. So you can't have the same kind of argument that you might have to say who was the best indie director of the nineties to kind of fine tune it from there. But yeah, yeah. you even got uh, Danny Boyle with train spotting. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, would you, a but, very nineties movie, right? But even with them, would you beat a Steven Spielberg or a Zemeckis in the nineties? No. So he only had two movies though. Then, right. Who was that? Or Danny Boyle, uh, cello, uh, cello grave. Yeah, I mean, that's, but that's what we're talking about with a lot of right. these that yeah. the, you might have a director who had a movie that, just screams nineties, but they didn't have a, you know, they, they don't have the, the filmography in the nineties mm-hmm. that someone like Spielberg and Zemeckis right. does, which, which was our argument in the, you know, my argument with Landis in the eighties. Mm-hmm. So, and, oh, and let's not forget that John Landis, even though it wasn't a movie, John Landis also directed the Michael Jackson thriller video. This is true. This yeah. is true because of his work with, American Werewolf in London. I will. I will just continue to fight <laughs> for John Landis. Oh, right, we're, 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 we're doing it all over. Landis wins. I'm just kidding. All right. Well, I think we're going to wrap this one up. I think we've discussed this one as far as we're going to discuss it. But I hope you guys enjoyed uh, this kind of not the norm for an 80s flick flashback podcast. But if you like this and want us to do it again, please let us know. Send us an email. Reach out to us on or reach out to me on social media. So of course you can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. Uh while I got you guys here, what do you guys want to promote? Uh pop culture roulette, what you got coming up, Nicholas? Um nothing really much. I mean we just we got <laughs> wait a we second. Got a, well I mean <laughs> yeah. we, we have just our, our so tune in. <laughs> yeah. We just have our regular episodes. We don't have any anything anything planned. super special, yeah. We got we got something cooking, but it's it's I don't know when we're gonna be doing it. So Oh I got you. I, I got you. Yeah. If you want to hear nothing much, listen to this pop culture. <laughs> pop culture. I'm just kidding. I'm messing with you. I'll edit that part out. Probably not. Uh, all right, Laramie, what's going on with moving panels? You're finishing up a Ghost Rider for the month of March, right? Yep. Uh, fi- wrapping up with a Spirit of Vengeance. You know, got to go out on top. Uh, <laughs> and, and then, uh, then we're taking a little. You know, n- nothing. I'll, I'll follow. I'll follow a Nicholas. Nothing special going on in April. <laughs> I'm actually going to do a lot of episodes with my family uh, okay. in April, uh, but then in in May uh, we're going to another themed month with doing uh, animation. So, All right. Yes, and then in June I start my Superman run of the the death and the return of Superman. Ooh. So that and very that'll cool. bleed into July just because there's so much to talk about. <laughs> so. Very cool, very cool. Well, unfortunately, Chad does not have a podcast that he can promote, but uh, you're doing uh, any, you're doing no. any, you don't need yeah. theater work uh, in the local area? No, but uh, this coming fall, you might uh, see me uh, in the audience for Family Feud. I've been oh, really? ah. back background uh, audience member. Very you cool. You can't really see the audience. Yeah, but but... No offense. How much do they show the audience in Family Feud? <laughs> not very Barely. I, I'm just there to clap and laugh. That's there you all go. I'm really, yeah. yeah. Hanging out with Steve Harvey not a bad not a bad way to spend your afternoon. Yeah, yeah, I get I'll, I'll be getting paid for it, so I get paid to hear his jokes. So, hey, not bad. Living the life, living the life. That's right. 
All right. Well, thank you guys so much for listening. And uh, this is just a bonus episode. So we'll have a new episode coming out later this week as well. So uh, don't miss out on that. But thanks again for listening. This is Tim Williams for the 80s Flick Flashback Podcast. Good night, good people. What's up, dudes? I'm Jerry D of Totally Rad Christmas, the podcast that talks all things Christmas in the 80s. Toys, movies, specials, music, books, fashion, and fads. If it was gnarly during Christmas in the 80s, he's got it covered. Wait, is there a lot of things to talk about for the 80s and Christmas? Well, you got the movie giants like Christmas Vacation, Scrooged, and A Christmas Story. There are TV specials like Muppet Family Christmas, Claymation Christmas Celebration, and a Garfield Christmas special. Plus classics shown every year. You also jam out to Last Christmas, Do They Know It's Christmas, and Christmas in Hollis. But most of all, it was a time for the most bodacious, best-selling Christmas toys ever, like He-Man, G.I. Joe, Transformers, and Cabbage Patch Kids. Yes, them too. We cover them all, plus much more, including standard segments like Hap Hap Happiest Memory, Gagging with the Spoon, The Other Half of the Battle, and Chant with the Littles. So tune in to Totally Rad Christmas everywhere you get your podcasts. Turn the clock back and dive into those warm and fuzzy memories. Later, dudes. Now playing on a cell phone near you. A show for all the manly men out there. Where guys talk about their favorite movies and what they can teach us about being a man. Featuring the coolest guests. Murder somebody's not like killing an ant. The most gratifying laughs. It's Tombstone, what can I say? (laughs) (laughs) And a fresh take on movies like you've never heard before. This will be the thing that gets written on his proverbial tombstone. We aren't here to criticize the movies you love, but to praise them for how they apply to our lives as husbands, fathers, and really all men in general. So buckle up your seatbelts, because Manly Movies is here. Subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or your other favorite podcast catcher. And remember, man up. You're still here? It's over. Go home. Go.